Hey, a very warm welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show to you. How are you this uh, 13th of December 2022? I'm the BBG, with you till 7 o'clock. Two guests coming your way. I'll tell you more about them in a minute. You can speak with me during the programme via the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave a comment there where it says comment live at the very top of the menu bar. How about them apples? Welcome then. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a little bit later on this evening, I'll be joined by the actor and the founder of the Reclaim Party, Lawrence Fox. Don't miss that. Lawrence Fox in the second air. Looking forward to speaking with him for the first time. Very interesting man. One of the most interesting tweeters, I think, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That's our two. Before that, Adam Rowland will be on the show. Adam is a physiotherapist. He was actively working as a physiotherapist until recently. Um, he had 16 years in professional sport, working with the military, the PGA Tour, the golf tour, and more besides. But he had a vaccine, and it went uh, wrong. It went badly wrong. Adam will be on the programme this hour to talk about that. So don't miss that. Adam Rowland this hour, Lawrence Fox a bit later on. And that is incredibly timely, the appearance of Adam on this programme this hour, because a short time ago, the MP Andrew Bridgen, the Conservative Party MP, who did pose a question to the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak at PMQs last week, a question about the safety of COVID mRNA jabs, a question that was ignored by the Prime Minister. Andrew Bridgen is leading a debate in the House of Commons this evening from 7 o'clock, a debate on the dangers of vaccine harms. Now, how many MPs will turn up to that is anybody's guess. I don't know. It could be a lot or, more likely, it could be something like this. Nothing to see here. Some of you are guessing on social media as to how many MPs will turn up. Some of you are saying, in fact, in fact, Alex Mitchell, who was on the programme last night and uh, was a compelling listen, wasn't he, Alex, talking about his own difficulties after the AstraZeneca jab. Alex was on with me last night. He's been tweeting out about this saying maybe five MPs will turn up. But that's the thing. They are going to be... There is a debate scheduled for 7 o'clock and you can watch it on straight after the Richie Allen programme. It's parliamentlive.tv. More on that with uh, Adam Rowland shortly. So strikes, 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 strikes. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Everywhere. Ambulances, nurses, everywhere, right? The RMT union taking on network rail for pay, but also conditions and the changes to working practices that uh, Network Rail wishes to bring in. I don't have an awful lot of time to get into this, but I might do tomorrow, because as a trade unionist myself, or former trade unionist, I can tell you a little bit more about strikes and why they're happening, more than the mainstream media will tell you, 
Okay, but anyway, Mick Lynch has become a bit of a hero to many trade unionists around the country. He is the general secretary of the RMT, and I think it's fair to say that he has been unflappable in the face of antagonism and heckling from UK television news presenters. Um, if you want, if you get a bit, if you get some time, check out Mick Lynch with Kay Burley of Sky a few weeks ago. Very cool. Under fire is Mick. Now, today, it was the turn of Richard Maidley to have a go at Mick Lynch, the union man. Maidley, being Maidley, a Muppet, a caricature of a journalist, went straight to the heart of the big union strike and the chaos, went right to the heart of the matter. Richard Maidley with Mick Lynch. Feast your ears. Whatever happened to Christmas kindness? Why couldn't you put all of these strikes, every single one of them, into January? Why do you have to target people at Christmas? Because you're going to be putting people out of business who run, who run hotels, who run restaurants, who run bars and retailers. This is the time of year where they make their money and you are robbing them of their income for the coming year. Many of them are saying they're going to go bust. You're robbing them, Mick. You're robbing them. Now, I, I can save you a bit of time. Mick Lynch has told him 17 times before this point that they are striking because the, the Network Rail wants to impose, starting tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, or, or Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, to impose the things on uh, the workers that the workers are basically fighting against. Right. So he's told them, he said they want to end negotiations and they want to go straight to removing the ticket offices and, you know, laying the groundwork for the driverless trains and all of that. So Maidley's a bit thick. So what does, very thick, what does Mick Lynch say? Well, we're not targeting Christmas. This it isn't Christmas yet, Richard. I don't know when your Christmas starts, but mine starts on Christmas Eve. So we are striking at this time That's because we've not got Christmas, a settlement. Commercial Christmas and, uh, starts in and, uh, December. You know well, that perfectly dis- well. You're being disingenuous. It's not disingenuous, is it? It is disingenuous. So, of course it is. Well, Christmas, let me finish commercial the Christmas does not start on answer. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is when people shut Richard, early. Don't be ridiculous. Richard, you're just talking to yourself Christmas starts at the end of November you're, and you're early ranting. December, and that's when people make their money, and you are Richard, depriving them of their income. That's the point. Right. Have you finished, then? Well, uh, will you answer the question, Mr Lynch? And then I'll so, shut up. Well, I have answered the question. So, well, OK, oh, yeah. if you give me a minute, I will. No, you said that Christmas so starts on Christmas Eve, and that's nonsense. That, that, I won't let you get away with nonsense. He won't let him get away with nonsense. When does Christmas begin? Christmas does not start on Christmas Eve. So let's just be clear. It starts in early December, and that's what we're talking about. Do you want to... Richard, why don't you just interview yourself if you want to Cheap talk to point, me? Cheap point, Mr Lynch. I'm holding you... Cheap point, Mr Lynch. ...you to account on behalf of the viewers, not on behalf of myself. I'm no, not interested not. in the sound you're, of my own voice. I'd like to hear yours answering the question. You're just talking to yourself the at the moment. I'd like to hear yours answering the question. Well, if why you'd do like you have to, to hear mine, Christmas? why don't you stop talking for a second? Because you won't answer the question, and until you, you do, I'll keep now? interrupting. It's my job. On you go. Jog on. Jog on. On you go, he said. Jog on. Jog on, he said to the guy... They've invited on to the programme. Well, you can't interrupt me if you don't let me talk. Uh, you decide. Okay. I love that. You can't interrupt me if you don't let me talk. Well, no, please sorry, you told you. just said that Christmas you begins speak. on Christmas Eve and that has to be challenged. So, would you come back? It has to be challenged. You said that Christmas begins on Christmas Eve. That has to be challenged. Does it really, though? Is it that important, really? I can answer the point about why you're taking the action over the le- weeks leading up to Christmas. Are you going to let me speak? Yes, please right. do. I told you that Network Rail will start imposing these changes from tomorrow, from December the 15th. They told us that three weeks ago. 
They told us that the consultation process had finished and they will move towards implementation. So our strike action is, is in response to that. The strike action we're taking at Christmas is during the Christmas close down where there will be no passenger services running. After he goes on to say we won't really be affecting too many people on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Richard Madeley, the gift that keeps on giving. Pound shop Piers Morgan, who himself is a pound shop presenter, isn't he, Morgan? Garbage. Piers Morgan, garbage. I can't help but see some of this stuff about Harry and Meghan. It's not important, is it? Is any of that important? No. And Piers Morgan seems determined to make a career out of talking about Meghan Markle. It's absolute nonsense. Here's something far more important. Uh, Professor Carl Hennigan is a professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford University. And today he is calling for ministers' emails and messages on lockdown policies uh, to be made public. He wants their emails to be made public. Uh, saying that scientific bait, debate even was suppressed as disinformation. So he's properly cheesed off, is Carl Hennigan, right? He says that scientific debate was suppressed and labelled as disinformation. Let's have a look at the emails and the messages swapped between ministers around about lockdown time. Here is Hennigan speaking with Talk Radio's Julia Hartley Brewer. The point I'm making, which I think is wider, it's not about me, and I, when I wrote about this, I thought about people like yourself, Julia, is the government has a suppression strategy. When you think you have misinformation, you should fight that with information. Not the government strategy, which was, for instance, potentially Matt Hancock to ring up his mate Nick Clegg and go, Facebook, we need you to shut down these people. Now, if that's happening in a democracy, that is scandalous. And it makes us anti-democratic. Anti-democratic. Scandalous, says Hennigan. It is. Of course it is. Let's hear some more. People who just question the general narrative, including people like yourself, who've got a very strong scientific background for doing so, were basically, you were basically being censored, weren't you? Yeah, and suppressed and attacked in all sorts of different angles. But let's be clear, what we're talking about is if you take an evidence-based approach, you basically will be considered as disinformation. Now, I've taken that approach for 25 years, had lots of attacks, but in the long run, Actually, when you come back to it, we need some high-quality evidence. How can you argue with this? This comes down to if you did Hancock, Matt Hancock disagreed with you, that was considered misinformation, absurd, and had to be shut down. Now, in the U.S., Fauci, who's the director of NIH, Biden and Trump's advisor, has been... He, he was the Chris Whitty or the, or the Patrick yeah. Vallance of the, gov of the American government administration. All of them, under subpoena, have had to depose all of the issues that they've had with these social media accounts, what their emails have had to be made available. So in this country, what I'm calling for is that ministers should be accountable and transparent. And all of their emails, all of their meetings, all of their minutes should be in the public domain to understand what is going on. Yeah. I mean, again, one, one of the things that came out with Fauci was that his private emails advising you know, colleagues, oh, don't wear masks, they definitely don't work, the virus is much smaller, don't wear masks. You know, a month later, he's telling everyone, you have to wear masks, and there's a mandate, and people are getting fined for wearing masks. And this is the thing, we, we know that behind the scenes, the, in, the information was completely different from what they were telling us publicly. Yes, of course, we do know that now. 
does does Elon Musk take a little bit of credit there? I don't know, but we do know that now. We know that now, but we knew that then. You see, some of us who have been presenting independent news radio shows for many years were saying this at the very beginning. What they were telling people to do, they knew they had no evidence for, and privately they were telling one another, well, obviously masks don't work. I mean, we reported very early on. When did they begin talking about masks? It was around about April, wasn't it? It was around about April of 2020. And um, we had, uh, we'd, we'd seen a couple of leaks, hadn't we? And we'd heard from a couple of insiders who said that basically they were using the masks to, to scare people. The masks were, were, were introduced to convince people that they were living in the midst of a deadly pandemic, which they were not. That's the reason they introduced the masks, not to protect anybody. That was uh, Carl Hennigan speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer. He wants transparency. He wants to see the email exchanges between government ministers during lockdowns. I wouldn't mind seeing them myself, Carl, but uh, I wouldn't be holding my breath. This is huge, this. Listen to this. I, I could barely contain myself when I heard this this morning. I was going to go and write about it, but I had too much to do. Um, I was listening to Ian King on Sky News. He presents a business programme after the break, 10 o'clock usually, business programme, Ian King. And he had Lord Brown on, Lord Brown. I bet you don't know who Lord Brown is, but you should know. Because he, if the elite or the Great Reset Committee, if you think of it as a chess board, how many pieces are there in a game of chess? 24, is it each? I, I'm not a chess player. I, I, I played drafts or checkers, and I wasn't very good at either. Concentration levels not being wonderful when I was younger. I don't know how many pieces are on a chessboard. Maybe 24, maybe 36, I don't know. 24 uh, per person, per, per contestant. Anyway, if the chess boardy thingamajig, if you looked upon that as the committee running the Great Reset, Edmund Brown would be a knight. Edmund Brown is a bollocks with a capital B. Uh, he used to be the boss of BP, but then he went all environmental on us. These days, he's all climate crisis on us. Uh, he was on the Goldman Sachs board as well. He's a beauty, this guy. Now, he joined uh, General Atlantic as a senior advisor last year. And these days, Lord Edmund Brown is the co-founder and the chairman of Beyond Net Zero. And Beyond Net Zero is a climate growth equity venture. Basically, they invest in companies that are providing solutions to the climate crisis. Now, we're not in a climate crisis. You know this. I know this. Huh? I know this. There's no climate crisis. But this guy runs this equity venture called Beyond Net Zero, where they throw dosh, they throw spondulix, they throw lots of lolly at companies who are trying to solve the climate crisis. He was on Ian King this morning, and, dear listener, you will hear Ian King, the presenter, first. Now, you've just been at uh, COP27. Has that in any way... Of course, he's just been at COP27. ...influenced your thinking about climate change investment? It has. Uh, I think COP27 uh, really got, probably, in, it got into the wrong direction. It, it really uh, discussed loss and damage, uh, which is all about uh, paying people for something that other people might have achieved, the Global North paying the Global South. I think it's going to be a tough call to get any of that to really work. What I think has not happened is that people have not translated the nationally 
determined contributions of COP26 into really practical targets for companies and for local parts of government. So we're falling short of the level of investment needed to reach net zero by 2050. Actually, we're about $3 trillion a year short. It's $3 trillion a year short of the investment we need to drive change locally. Short. It's huge. Huge. Uh, and wait, so, for this. wait for this. And so I came back saying, I think we need a plan B and we need a plan C. Plan B to adapt the world to higher temperatures and plan C... Wait for it. Plan B now is to adapt the world to higher temperatures. That means, in no small part, decommissioning coastal zones, coastal towns that might become overwhelmed by rising tides. <laughs> right, wait to hear what Plan C is. You won't believe it. Uh, geoengineering. What? He said what now? Plan C is what now, he said? He's, I think he said geoengineering. And Plan C... Uh, geoengineering. You're kidding me. In case it all else fails, we have to do something rather radical to get out of very big climate change. Wow. If all else fails, we should use geoengineering. Engineering. Just in case it all else fails, we have to do something rather radical to get out of very big climate change. I'm fascinated by this term geoengineering. It's a, it's a term that some people may not be familiar with. Yeah, right. Now, this is the presenter, Ian King, and I'm listening to this live this morning and I'm getting excited because I think Ian King is going to ask him to explain geoengineering. But I'm pretty sure, as sure as I'm sitting here and you are sitting there, that producer screamed into the ear of Ian King, get off the subject of geoengineering, Ian. What, what would, how do you explain it? Well, it's how would you explain it? Go on, go on. It's altering the atmosphere or the oceans to change the climate. Right. Altering the atmosphere and the oceans to change the climate. Now, I jumped in a bit too early. I jumped the shark. It's at this point you would expect that Ian King would ask him, how do you go about altering the oceans? And the atmosphere, how would you go and do that? But he doesn't really want to go there. He doesn't want to go there. Listen to this again, by the way. Familiar with, what, what would, how do you explain well, it? Well, it's altering the atmosphere or the oceans to change the climate. Ian? Uh, and it's very dangerous uh, at the moment. Very dangerous at the moment. Jump in, Ian, and ask him to explain exactly how it works. So we have to sort of think about, are there better solutions to that? Can we do something that is temporary until we can catch up with where we should be? And importantly, how do we control it, not just locally, but globally? You know, is there a way, a bit like the seas, is there a, or the Montreal Protocol, is there something that really can control what other people will do? Geoengineering, Sam. Is there something that can control what other people will do, he says. And then Ian King comes in and doesn't ask him to explain exactly how geoengineering works, which any pound shop journalist would do. do. Geoengineering sounds colossally expensive. Is this something that governments are going to have to do rather than private capital? Well, we don't know yet. Uh, I think all I'm calling for is I think people need to dust off the plans. It yeah, spraying heavy metals into the ionosphere, that's geoengineering. In the, this is what they would tell you. You and I know different. They would tell you that geoengineering is spraying heavy metals into the ionosphere to reflect the sun's rays away from planet Earth.
That's just a very basic definition of it. And there are some very learned, some very clever men and women who have come on radio shows with me over the years who believe that that particular programme has been active for a long time. It's coming up for 20 minutes past the hour. It's time uh, for a very quick break. We, I will be speaking. We, you, I will. You can, of course, reach out through the website richieallen.co.uk. Speaking in a few moments' time to Adam Rowland, physiotherapist. Uh, You don't want to miss that. And later on, the actor and the founder of the Reclaim Party, Lawrence Fox, will be on your Richie Allen show. Back with you in around about 30 seconds' time. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 five every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of the Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at RichieAllen.co.uk Yes, Lawrence Fox later on, Adam Rowland before that. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is now 21 minutes past five, or, or thereabouts. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. It's 21 minutes past five. And it isn't as cold here in the Northwest as it has been in recent days. It isn't, thanks, beat to jeepers. Here are the water boys and the whole of the moon. Right, that is uh, the Water Boys and the Whole of the Moon. It's 24 minutes or thereabouts past the hour, Tuesday's programme. Just to mention again, the MP Andrew Bridgen is chairing a debate on the dangers of vaccine harms. That's how he's described it, from 7 o'clock in the House of Parliament, in the House of Commons, right? He's chairing a debate on the danger of vaccine harms. 7 o'clock, parliamentlive.tv. He asked the question last Wednesday of the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. He posed the question, he asked him, would he suspend the rollout of COVID jabs in light of the fact that the mRNA jabs in the last 18 months, there have been reports, more reports in 18 months of mRNA jab, mRNA jab harms than there were for conventional jabs over a 50-year period. I always butcher that, but I think you get the gist of it, right? He said mRNA jabs, there have been reports of harms far, far more in 18 months than there were in the previous 50 years of conventional jabs. My guest this hour, I'm really glad he's agreed to come on the programme. Um, he's a physiotherapist. And he has, um, I think, a very impressive career working in professional sport, also worked with the military. He worked on the PGA Golf Tour as well, as well as working with um, ballet companies. Of course, you never think, do you, that uh, ballet dancers and performers would need a physio. Of course they would. But um, it went wrong after he had um, a vaccine. Let's welcome him to the programme, Adam Rowland. Adam, welcome and thanks for coming on. How are you? Hiya, Richie having me on um yeah I'm, I'm doing as well as can be expected uh, to be honest richie um each day is a um a battle for me um 
uh, and just just hanging on in there really um, trying to work with the doctors now um, the doctors you know readily admit to me that you know they're swinging a club in the dark really um, and it's just yeah they're trying the best to help me but um, the big problem is the um, the government won't acknowledge us um, won't give the doctors any money um, so there's no money to research it and we're all just um, we're being abandoned while our health continues to go downhill I'm afraid Go back to when this began, Adam. When did this begin? When did you have the job and what happened? Yeah, so it started in February 21 for me. Um, I had my first job and then, uh, you know, it's it's tricky to remember, but it was a week, maybe two weeks after I started to develop um, severe insomnia um, and little sort of like non-epileptic fits in my sleep, vertigo, um, all kinds of sort of bizarre symptoms, really. And what I now know is like palpitations and heart arrhythmia. Um, so at this time, you know, I, I phoned up my GP and um, they weren't doing face-to-face appointments. And obviously, you know, I didn't have any other health concerns. So my GP, you know, didn't need to see me. And he just told me it was like panic and anxiety. Um, and um, yeah, left it as that. And I, I thought it was a bit weird. And um, it just got worse and worse up until the March. Uh, I actually have to take time off work in the March. You know, I was quite embarrassed phoning up my employer and saying, you know, I don't know what's going on with me. Um, you know, I'm struggling to sleep and having all these weird stuff going on. Um, and then the uh, GP just said, yeah, it's panic and anxiety again. Uh, so it was never really picked up. I managed to get back to work. And then unfortunately, uh, because it wasn't picked up I uh, and I didn't put two and two together, um, I had the second vaccine in um it would have been May 21, and then, yeah, all hell broke loose after that. I ended up in hospital shortly after. This is the AstraZeneca vaccine now, so you had dose two of that. It's interesting, Adam, you mentioned the the GP said to you, panic and anxiety. I, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting in the dark, you know, this is a guess, but wouldn't the GP be compelled then to, to try and get you an appointment with somebody who works in psychological health? I would have thought, yeah. if they thought it was panic. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, because I was fit and well and, and stuff, um, yeah, he didn't really push that. Um, right. he, what he did give me at first in the March when I had to go off work, he gave me um, some sleeping tablets because I wasn't, I literally, Richie, I wasn't sleeping for four or five days at a time because uh, every time I laid down in my bed, um, I'd drift as if I was drifting off to sleep. I'd have one of these little fits and, and my heart would skip a few beats and stop breathing. Um, and it literally happened every time I laid flat. It could happen 15, 20 times a night. And, it, you know, a few times is sort of inconvenient and a bit uncomfortable, but it starts to get a bit scary. Uh, so I'd end up sitting up all night because I couldn't sleep. Um, so he ended up giving me sleeping tablets um, and then even gave me uh, something called diazepam, which is quite a strong drug that they don't give out to try and relax me, um, which worked for, you know, a couple of weeks. Managed to get myself back to work, but I was just... Yeah, I wasn't right. It was it was bizarre. You knew you were you knew you weren't right. We we all we all tend to know, don't we, our own body. So you said you had the second dose then, and you said um, all hell broke loose. What happened after the second dose? Yeah, so after the second dose, um, approximately ten days after, I started to get you know really quite bad chest pain all over my rib cage. Um, and I was fit and well, so you know, you, you know, I was in professional sports. So I've, I've exercised all my life, every day of my life, six, seven days a week since you know I was a kid. 
So I thought, oh, maybe it's just the the gym, you know, maybe it's something I've done in the gym, which I knew deep down, Richie, it wasn't because, you know, I'd been reducing my gym because I, I wasn't well from the first one. So I left it and tried to ignore it. Um, and then I had an episode in my house where um, basically I thought I was having a heart attack. I couldn't move. I was so dizzy, sweat, the pain in my chest was crippling. Uh, struggling to breathe and uh, you know I thought that was it so my brother was in the house at the time called an ambulance took me to hospital um, and then yeah they just sort of kept me in for a few hours did the standard full blood count troponin to see if I was having a heart attack and a, an ECG and uh, came up with the same conclusion really they just said um, oh there's nothing wrong with your heart and you know it's probably panic and anxiety <laughs> so um, you know I, I was at the same boat and then carried on for probably another week longer Richie and then um, I um, I had an incident where I passed out at home and it was extremely dizzy in work I can't remember I think I might have actually passed out in work or had an episode there and then I, I actually phoned um, a cardiologist that I used to work with at one of the professional clubs um, and I just said Rich I said will you, will you do me a favour I said you know I phoned up my doctor a couple of times been having all these episodes for you know since uh, February, uh, doctor said it's anxiety, so don't think it is. Um, said, again, all this stuff going on with my heart, so I can't explain it. I said, never, never before has it happened. So I told him, and he said, Well, just drive up to the hospital and I'll put you on a 24 hour ECG. So he did me a massive favour, um, did that, and then had the ECG. And then a few days later, he phoned me and he said, Oh, listen, mate. Um, he said, I need to send you for a cardiac MRI. He said, your, your heart's, when you're going all dizzy and stuff, and, you know, your heart's going into VT, which um, that's ventricular tachycardia, which is uh, incredibly serious. It's what causes the sudden death in, in most people, what, you know, what the athletes are dropping down with. Is that when it slows down, Adam? It slows down dramatically, does it, the heart, and stays slow and then returns to normal speed and then goes slow again? Is that is that what you're describing? No, no, no. What happens, what happens, Rich, is basically it's the electrical signal to the ventricles, the bottom chambers in your heart. The electrical signals go amiss. Um, so what happens is my heart rate would just be completely normal. And then all of a sudden it'd be racing up to right. its maximum. So right. it, it'd reach like 180. It, so it'd go from 40 to 180 in a flick of a switch. Um, and that was why I was getting dizzy. And that's why people collapse. Because what you get is you get a reflex drop in your blood pressure as a result. Um, so your body doesn't know what the hell's going on because you can't officially pump, you can't efficient, efficiently, sorry, uh, pump the blood around your body, and that's why people sort of collapse and etc. So yeah, um, my heart was doing that, and he just said to me, you know, if you keep having any more of these attacks, you need to go straight to hospital. Um, he said you can't mess about with this, and um, so that's basically. A few more days went by, and he sorry, just just to, and he he recommended the the cardiac MRI then. So that was the, did you say that the next step to look at it under MRI? Did that happen? It did happen, yeah. And it, to be fair to them, um, they kept me in hospital for a week. Um, wouldn't let me get out of bed on something called ACU, so the equivalent of ICU for your heart. Um, bamboozled by me because it was my local hospital they didn't have enough experience and they just said we don't know what's going on we've sent all your ecgs to a specialist heart hospital that's who'll now take over your care so it was them that actually um did the chest mri but they wanted me to wait for a number of weeks because obviously you, you know uh, they deemed it safe to wait for a few weeks so in the meantime i actually paid for that 
scan because, you know, I just wanted to get back to work and find out what was going on. I just thought it'd be like, you know, having a cold or something. Then, yeah. You know, I could go and, go and see someone and they'd solve it and then, you know, everything would be all right again. Jesus. Wow. And when, at what point did somebody raise the question about the vaccines? Um, nobody did, Richie. So what happened was I saw a top leading cardiologist at uh, Liverpool Heart and Chest. He was bamboozled by it. His final comments to me, this was in the June, I think it was by this time, or maybe even July. His final comments was me. I've never seen this in someone of your age just develop it. He said, it's normally if someone has these conditions with the heart, it's found in childhood because... You know, that's when it occurs and stuff. So he, he said, I don't know what's causing it. He sent me back to my GP and said, we need to check. You've not got any like tumours on your adrenal glands. You know, we need to look at something else in your body that could be affecting the signal in your heart. And he was bamboozled. How stressed um, were you at this stage, Adam? You must have been very stressed. Were you listening to all of, all of this? Uh, I was very stressed, but he assured me that he felt that uh, because it wasn't happening all the time, as in it was only happening, you know, every few days or whatever, and it wasn't happening multiple times a day, he reassured me that he felt it was safe because he'd looked at, you know, he's a leading guy. Um, but I never felt right. You know, I went from, you know, exercising, you know, being super fit, as fit as, you know, quite a lot of these, some of the athletes I was looking after, I felt like 30%, you know, I, I couldn't even, like, walk fast without my heart you know, missing beats and and going into, you know, going really fast and racing and doing all that crazy stuff. So, yeah, it knocked my confidence massively. Um, you, could run, you could run sub-20 minute um, 5Ks as far as I have found in my research into you. I think you could do 18 minute 5 kilometres. Is that right? Oh, no, no. I'd love to. I'd love to take that. No, I wasn't that quite that as quick. quick as that, I was, no. Yeah, yeah, no, I could but do were, it in like, 20-something minutes, yeah, yeah, which is still not bad. No, it's very good. Yeah, you're the same age as me, so I I was dead jealous, to be honest, because I run every day, (laughs) and I thought, he's the same age as me. If he's doing 18-minute, five kilometres, I'm absolutely cheesed off. Um, But, um, no, I don't want want to make... Maybe if I was in a car, Richard. In a car, maybe, yeah, or on a scooter. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, so, so take us on from there then. So he, he says, right, we have to have a look to see if there are tumours on the adrenal glands, I think, and do all of these tests. So it progresses. What happens next? Yeah, so no one took me serious. So I was still battling the GP and getting sent to a, like a local hospital. Like it's only a small hospital in a small town. Endocrinologist, not even, you know, not really bothered and I'm battling them. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I felt like I was dying, Richie, starting to, you know, it sounds ridiculous. That's how I felt. I knew, like, I was really, really ill. Um, Got worse and worse, started to develop other symptoms. So by September, blurred vision in my eyes, uh, tinnitus in my ears, um, basically vertigo. um, These fits were getting worse. Um, Basically, bilateral cramp in my calves, which has never gone to this day. Um, And then what they call fasciculation, so all my muscles just twitching and cramping in my body, you know, they just like lock on out of the blue and then relax. So go back to the GP, sends me to a neurologist. Um, so I saw him about Christmas time last year, um, waiting to see him and no one had still said it was the vaccine. And like, you know, by this point, I'm like, you're asking now, sorry, Adam, at this stage, you're asking about the vaccine, surely. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. of course I did. I was the one who brought it up. up I was like, I just said to the consultant, I just said, look, 
I said, I've gone for Pfizer fiddle. I said, the only thing that's changed is these vaccines. I said, you know, do you think it could be this vaccine? I said, because, um, you know, I've started to research. I said, and, you know, it seems like, you know, people are having reactions to them. And the neurologist uh, said to me, he went, yeah, he said it, it could well be. He said, but he said, the problem is, he said, we don't have any, like, tests to, to determine that. He said, so... And he used this phrase to me, and it, 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 my world just dropped out, Richie. He said to me, well, we still don't know what's caused Gulf War syndrome. So it was as if to say, like, I can't help you. And he just yeah. offered me, like, you know, loads of different medications and stuff, um, you know, epilepsy medications. Um, and that was it. It was like, you know, I can't really help you anymore. And I, I was just like, wow. Um, and then, so I went off, you know, uh, incredibly traumatic. I just, felt abandoned um and my health just got worse and worse richie um i got to the point where i got to march um i couldn't really walk much then um i couldn't have a shower um, because of my heart rate um i'd go so dizzy like i was going to pass out in the shower uh, i couldn't you know walk up and down stairs um my eyeballs went yellow um rashes all over my face by this point i had to get a taxi to my gp um, went in and he just looked at me and he just went, you look awful. I said, I said, I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> I said, um, please this, help me. And Adam, said, is this the GP who said to you that he thinks you're having panic attacks? It was one of the same GPs in the practice. In the same practice? The same GP. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he would have re- reviewed your notes, so he would have known that his colleague had said you were suffering from anxiety and panic attacks. And now he's looking at you and you're obviously in a very bad way. You're struggling to move. Um, you've got these um, kind of, um, as you said, a rash on your face. It's obviously not anxiety. But he, but he didn't mention anxiety. Didn't he? Didn't no. Bring it up. So, yeah. so what he did was, I mean, this is the bizarre thing, Richie. You know, I haven't been to my GP in years and years. So I literally got the taxi there. Um, he was concerned about me by this time because you know I'd gone from someone not going to your GP to someone that you know, every few weeks I was on the phone, like, you know, it was literally battling not to phone my GP because I found it embarrassing. But it was like, what's going on with me? You know, everyone's telling me there's nothing wrong with me. But um, so I, I walked in and he, at first he couldn't even remember my notes. You know, he couldn't really remember me. And I was like, this is what's been going on. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he just said, yeah, he said, I don't know what to do. He said, what, what do you want me to do? And I was like, well, I was like, you know, and he was like, I suggest you go A&E. And, and to be fair to him, he said to me, go A&E. And I'd been A&E about three times, I think, um, the last time in the November. Um, and I just thought, I've had enough of going A&E. They just don't believe me and say the same thing as well. So I ended up leaving it, um, left it two more months, and then ended up um, collapsing. Um, yeah, and that's when things have sort of really moved on since then. Wow. Folks, we're, we're listening to Adam Rowland. Adam is a very successful physiotherapist. Um, worked with St. Helens, I, I believe, uh, on the PGA Tour, working with uh, ballet companies. And in 2021, he had an AstraZeneca jab. And he became unwell afterwards. He began to have rapid heartbeat and being out of breath. And really interestingly, and very, I suppose for you, very upsetting, because I have I've had a little bit of experience with this myself, the insomnia. Um, the GP said at the time, "Look, this is probably anxiety. It's probably a bit of panic attacks and stuff like that." So he thought 
okay, fair enough. But it was after he had the second dose of the AstraZeneca jab that it really went um, kind of pear-shaped, as Adam has been explaining, and his health has deteriorated in the last um, 12 months. And and where where are you now? You're obviously unwell. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I can't say that it's obviously the jabs, but it's 99.99 certain percent certainty that the jabs had something uh, to do with it um, you're, you've got a big social media following I like the looks of your social media what you do and how you put yourself out there and, and the questions you're asking it's very genuine I think and, um, and it's very well done what are you hoping now what are you hoping will happen for you seeing as the GP doesn't know what to do and if you go to casualty they're like Jesus, we don't know what to do either. And I know you're petitioning oh. politicians. So where is it for you now? Yeah, so I, I can explain, Richie. Things have moved on very dramatically. So I collapsed in May this year with three PEs in my lungs, so three massive blood clots. So that, you know, a high chance of dying there. So I was quite lucky. Um, you know, a lot of scarring on my lungs. I've got pericarditis chronic on my heart. Um, and now I've been just diagnosed with uh, something called. Um, uh, vaccine-mediated thrombolytic vasculitis, um, you know, so all my, my muscles and things aren't getting oxygen. So, yeah, you say it's 99.9%, but I've got it in writing. It's in writing, Yeah, all the, all the hospital now have officially, you know, there's no arguments about it because I've got so many things wrong with me and stuff, you know, they've said it's all the vaccine. Um, luckily enough, Richie, um, I, I've come to the attention of a hospital in London uh, who'd seen 239 people like me in just one hospital. Um, 239 in one hospital? Yeah, indeed, yeah. Similar yeah. cases, that, so people who've had the AZ jabs? Yeah, both jabs, both jabs, to be honest. They were pericard. This was back in July. They told me I was the 239th. Uh, I spent a month in hospital in London. In one hospital? They did, yeah, they did lots of tests. Um, and then, yeah, so basically I'm up north and, um, you know, for example, now they've told me that, you know, I don't want to scare viewers, uh, scare listeners, sorry, but, you know, they've told me, like, you know, they're, they're quite honest, that, you know, they, the doctors feel abandoned by the government because the government have given indemnity to the pharmaceutical industry, yet the government won't accept us and provide the money for doctors to research us and doctors are telling me, that, you know, leading consultants, leading cardiologists, leading uh, respiratory consultants at the tertiary heart and lung hospitals up and down the country, so in Manchester, Liverpool and um, in London. Um, you know, they're telling me that we're swinging a club in the dark here. You know, they don't know what was in the vaccines. Uh, apparently, we're harder to treat than the people that have had long COVID, unfortunately. Um, and they're saying it's going to take many, many years before, you know, there, there'll be enough research and, you know, money available to do that research. Can they not do more, though? I hear, first of all, it's it's very important that they have given you the diagnosis and said that your problems are vaccine-induced. More power to them, these um, obviously very qualified people. And I'm thinking, is there anything else they can do? I know they can't really go to the media because they won't get... Uh, further than the front door, but I mean, the, 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 I know the Astra, I'll come back to that in a minute. While the AstraZeneca jabs are not being offered in the UK now, and I'll come back to that in a moment, we know that there are many thousands of complaints about the mRNA jabs. So maybe these consultants maybe can do a little bit more to sound the alarm. 
you know, in terms of telling people, listen, you, you should know this stuff. You should know about the 239 people we've treated. You, you should know about the claims made against the mRNA jabs. I wonder, is there anything more they can do, these people? Well, to be honest, Richie, these people are actually personally sticking the neck out for the vaccine injured. So what I mean by that is uh, we're scared of losing them. Um, yeah, I'm with so you. Yeah. Just, it's not just me. So what they're having to do is, Richie, because the government won't recognise us, um, the way the NHS operates is it gives things called an international disease classification, an ICD code. Um, and what that does is on the NHS, then, it, it, you know, it, it, it's almost a recipe, if you like, what, what drugs are for this condition and what scans you need and how to diagnose it. Uh, and it's, so it's like a uniformly recognised. But because the government doesn't recognise us and we've got a condition that many, many normal medical tests and scans don't pick up. So your junior and lesser experienced consultants, unless, you know, people are having really extreme reactions with the heart, they're not picking up. Uh, so it's a bit like a slow burner with me where I got iller and iller. Um, so these people in these hospitals are treating us on the NHS and politically they've got hospital managers on yeah. the case. I've been told off the record, which, you know, I don't want to, I can't say names of consultants, but they've told me that they're getting it in the neck from their hospital managers that they've seen all these vaccine injury people. And what what happens is I'm on drugs that have been prescribed to me off, off license. So I'm on something called triple anticoagulation to keep me alive, basically. I'm on three blood thinners. If I'm not on that, they've told me that, you know, I'll probably die. Um, and it hasn't been um, licensed yet, no? It's not licensed because I, I, I've got a condition that, you know, vaccine injury, it doesn't exist to the government. So the NHS can't, can't give it. So what that means is, you know, obviously I'm not going to do it, but there's a risk that if I drop down of a stroke and say my family turned around to the NHS and said, well, he had a stroke because you had him on three blood thinners, which isn't, isn't, you know, it's, it's quite, you know, there's a lot of risk with three blood thinners, Richie, you know, yeah. most people are normally on one. So if I drop down, you know, the NHS could have a legal case because they're prescribing me drugs or their employees are off license. So it's, you know, I could, I could get these drugs privately and sign a disclaimer, but these are the battles that we're up against, Richie. And this is why, I'm speaking out because, you know, there's people like me and there's people, people are dying and people are going to die and the the media just, Ignoring you know, mainstream, yeah. and the government are sweeping it under the carpet. You know, What about the know. vaccine injury payment? I, you, I know you know Alex Mitchell well. Alex was on the show last night and I want to keep this going. I want to keep um, talking about this with people who've experienced you know, the nightmare that Alex has experienced and which horrendous what happened to Alex and, and, and what you're going through. People need to hear this. I just want people to hear it so that they think twice about getting the third one or the or the fourth one or the fifth one. What about the vaccine injury payment scheme the government has in operation? Is that any good to you at all? Is that a, an avenue for you? <laughs> okay, Rich. So it's the biggest insult it could ever be to people who are presently vaccine injured. So this, the scheme was set up in 1970, I believe, from a lady whose daughter was vaccine injured. She campaigned to get it set up. Now, it's presently £120,000, which yeah. that money, if I could get it tomorrow, would pay for private treatment in Germany that might improve my health. Um, I mean, even if you get 120000 they stop any benefits that you get. So that's another story. But presently... Let me tell you about that scheme. I mean, all this is, you can see it on the internet. They debated it in Parliament. So, you know, I wouldn't say anything that I don't believe to be true. Um, the, the They haven't paid out the 
people that have died yet, their families are the deceased. As far as I know, they've paid about 300 out. These are people that they've got AstraZeneca written on their death certificates from last year. It's like 18 months ago for some of these people. Yeah. The families still haven't got the money. Um, now, it was debated in Parliament and brought up. Um, not many MPs were too bothered. It was just, like, brushed off. At present rate, they've had so many claims for this vaccine injury payment scheme that it's going to take 15 years to process a claim now. Um, now, the other issue with that is, you know, I might probably not be around in 15 years' time, um, you know, so, you know, it'd be good for my family to have that money, but, uh, you know, I can't have that money for treatment. And then the other issue that I've got with it is... Um, because it was set up a long time ago, they say you have to be classed as 60% disabled. Now, I've got consultants who are saying to me, they'll write me a letter, they strongly support, you know, it's unequivocal what's happened to me. In their eyes, they fully really deserve that money and they'll help me apply for it, which I'm obviously going to do in due course. Um, but obviously the money's not going to come for 15 years. And I know people, Rich, that have got heart failure off this you know, lots of things like me, they've actually been rejected for this money and it's just absolutely ridiculous. The government, um, absolutely disgusting, Rich. Um, How do you feel about so, the former Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, writing a book about the, the the pandemic in which he largely paints himself as a bit of a hero, a bit of a public hero? How do you feel about that when you when you read about that sort of thing? Well, well, Richie, I was never into conspiracy theories before, and I'm 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 not fully a conspiracy theorist now, but I've done a hell of a lot of research, and I'm not a stupid man. Um, Mac Hancock is is a middleman. These government people are middlemen. The stuff that I've found out about the mainstream media, I've got things in writing. Um, you know, Matt Hancock is and the, what he's done to people's families with the lockdowns and the dazzling. The man is absolutely disgusting. Now, it might sound a bit crazy to some of your listeners so i'm willing to be corrected and be proved wrong but i'm an open-minded person and i really feel that matt hancock was put into the jungle via these powers that control our media and control some of our government um, and you know i find it the biggest insult to people like me and people that have lost loved ones and you know people couldn't be at loved one's side in the care homes because they weren't double vaccinated yet uh, it's just absolutely disgusting and tasteless um, yeah, I mean, this man, if he's such a, a great guy and he wants all this public attention, you know, why isn't he Why isn't he contacting the likes of me and Alex and yeah. bereaved families? Why isn't he trying to put it right and at least trying to seem to be doing the right thing? Let me ask you this. I wasn't going to ask it, but it is appropriate, I think. And you, you can call me every name under the sun and I'll take it on the chin. I have no problems with that. Anybody who comes on the show, I do as much looking into them as I can, right? So that I can pick up, not to try and catch you out or anything, but so I can pick up kind of a sense of who you are. And everything, Adam, that I come across through your social media, and I watched a couple of interviews you did, you're obviously very intelligent. You're very articulate. And back in 2021, you were, I'd say, like myself, in the top 2 3% of guys in their late 40s in terms of physical fitness. I mean, I'm, I'm a 5K a day runner, seven day, I shouldn't do it seven days, but I do. I look after myself, right? Why did you have the fucking vaccine? Yeah, I, I feel an absolute idiot, Rich. So I'm not saying you're an I idiot now. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm, not the point I mean. I'm, no, I'm asking you to think back, why? What, what pressures were brought to bear? Why did you think you needed it? 
Yeah, I, I I literally swallowed the the media propaganda. So I listened, you know, and they were saying that it was going to stop transmission. So for me, it was the stopping transmission. I I didn't ever want it. Um, you know, my my wife's uh, mother was very ill. She's since passed, and you know, she was caring for her, and um, and also my job as well. So there was a multiple of reasons, but my main reason, hand on heart, wasn't my job. It it was I didn't want to pass it on to somebody else, and and feel that an older person could have died because, you know, I, I passed it on and there was this vaccination that was available that would stop me transmitting this, um, you know, killer disease that, you know, that potentially they were saying, maybe I miss, miss you know, I don't watch a yeah. lot of TV, so maybe I just caught the wrong end of the stick, but that's why I had it. And I'm going to say to you, and I mean this, I uh, this is not patronising nonsense, I mean this, I'd have done the same thing. If I hadn't been a journalist looking into Pfizer and Merck and and Glaxo for years, and I didn't know some of the things I found out through being a a radio producer, I probably would have had it too. I'm not sure I would have done. Like when, when they said, look, you won't pass it on to other people, which the lying bollocks, as we say back home, did. They said that. I would have had it too. Thanks for that answer. Stupidity has got nothing to do with anything. Nobody is stupid. I'd have done the same thing. I'd have said, all right then. You know, because I would have, somebody who would have been going out to see my elderly relatives, my gran, my granddad, and I would have said, oh, Jesus, yeah, well, sure, look, I'm in no danger really from it, but if it stops me passing it on, and I wonder how many people are like you, Adam, you know, um, fit and healthy men and women, and who thought, you know, I'll, I'll do the right thing because it'll give me granddad a better chance or it'll give my grandmother a better chance. That really gets to me, that. It really does. Yeah, well, you know, obviously they've, um, you know, I think in reflection, it was all propaganda, wasn't it? Unfortunately and sadly. Yeah. Let me just remind the listeners, just very briefly, Adam Rowland, physiotherapist, is on the show. Very successful guy. Done some very impressive things in his career um, as a physio. Um, Highly qualified. Has been very severely injured by the AstraZeneca vaccines. This has been confirmed by cardiologists, by specialists. And he's after answers and it's very difficult for him to get them because the government is ignoring him. The media is ignoring him. He said it'll take 15 years to get a payout from the government. And and tragically, you said it would be helpful now because there is some treatment in Germany. And it's important we get this in. And I'll ask our listeners to pay attention to this. And if you can help, help. You're doing a GoFundMe um, to help you out. Talk to us about that. Yeah, um, I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm begging Rich You're because I've never asked for money. No, but I, it's not. I'm from up north, and you know we don't beg for money, and it's quite embarrassing. And I never set off. When I started speaking out, I got motivated by John Watt and Alex Mitchell because I thought, you know what, there's so many people like us. Nothing's going to happen because they don't want us to speak out. So I set up my Twitter page with that, and then somebody said to me, "Go fund me." I wasn't comfortable with it because I thought I wouldn't even get any money if I'm honest I thought nobody would give any money to it um, so I've set that up and I've been absolutely blown away by the amount of people that have said so many kind things and financially supported me I'm trying to raise um, £30,000 which is what it's going to take for me to get to Germany because the treatment that potentially could really help me that I'm talking about with consultants um, it's £2,000 a time you can only have one every one to two weeks. Uh, it's basically taking all your blood out, cleaning all your blood, taking some of the things out of it. 
Um, and I would need at least six of those, maybe 10 of those. I know some people have needed 12. Uh, but you have to live out in Germany all that time. So I'd have to pay for accommodation out there. I'd have to have somebody with me, you know, because it makes you really, really sick. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to raise money for. But also, um, you know, if it, you know, if I don't get out there, it's not just about the money. I just want to, you know, if I can get private treatment and it allows me to keep speaking out because I realise that I've had people contacting me, Richie, that are worse off than me and you can't speak out. And, you know, I'm speaking for us all. It's not it's not just me. Um, it's about the government, this. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. People don't realise that you have the vaccine. When it goes wrong, you're on your own with this. There's, there's no scheme set up to help you. Um, there's no doctors that know how to treat it. <laughs> they haven't got a clue. Um, so, yeah, um, that's why I'm doing it. So, yeah, I've set up my goal for me. It's, um, if, I mean, I'm, I don't like begging, but, you know, I need You're not begging. Listen, you're not begging. You don't have the money. You need the money. Folks, if you go to GoFundMe.com and if you type in, first of all, type in Adam's name, but look for Please Help Me to Afford Life-Saving Therapy. Adam Rowland. It's R-O-W-L-A-N-D. 30,000 is the goal. Um, Just under nine grand. What an achievement that is, mate. Well done. That's fantastic. Um, well, oh, mate, it's it's just it's, this public support that we're getting is unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable, and, and we need it. We need it because no one's going to listen to us. They want us to sweep us under the carpet between the government and the pharmaceutical industry because, obviously, you know, with the vaccine, the AstraZeneca disappearing, you know, I I I I, I jest, but it's true. They've, they've got rid of it faster and more quiet than a murder weapon. Um, you know, and I don't say that lightly. And you know something about that? This is the thing that kills me, and we can't prove this, but we are entitled to voice our suspicions. They discontinued the AZ jab, and they said, oh, everything is hunky-dory, we, we just want to push people towards the mRNA jab. I don't believe that for a minute. I can't prove it, but it's my belief that they suspended the AstraZeneca jab because they knew that was a dam that was about to break. They know about you, of course they do. They know about Alex. They know what's what's gone on, and this is cover up um, on on steroids, really. In my opinion, well, I've got to say, Adam, it, it isn't. And just you know, just the final. They knew that there were going to be so many casualties, if you like, and be collateral damage. They knew this. So, look, I know that they know, and it's just disappointing that these people that told us to do the right thing, they haven't got a plan for us. They, they won't acknowledge us. And and look, listen to this, Rich. This is just another example that they knew it was going to happen. The batch numbers on people who had the AstraZeneca vaccine, they didn't just send one batch to London for 5 million people or however many got vaccinated in London. They actually split the batches up and sent them all over the UK. So they sent like 5,000 of one batch to Edinburgh, 5,000 to Birmingham, 5,000 to London. Now, why did they do that? It's very, it's quite almost premeditated to me that they knew there was going to be a lot of reactions. Maybe if they had a lot of reactions off one batch in one town, or one city, maybe, you know, it would have been harder to, to cover up. I don't know, but that's, you know, your mind that's runs your, away um, with your you. That's your theory. Yeah. Well, your mind runs away with you when you've been abandoned like this and, uh, you know, no one will even take you on and some of the replies and responses we get officially um, are disgusting, yeah. I have one final question for you, but I want to recommend to people to find out more about Adam, go to Twitter. And he is on there as Adam Rowland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D. It's at one O-N-E ads. So ads for Adam. So it's at O-N-E 
A-D-D-S at O-N-E-A-D-D-S and the GoFundMe.com if you want to make a contribution to Adam it's uh, GoFundMe.com look for Adam Rowland there or please help me to afford life saving therapy look it seems that Andrew Bridgen MP is at least putting his head above the parapet he asked that question last week, which nearly, nearly made me fall off my chair in the studio. I was preparing the programme. <laughs> the fact that he brought it up and asked for him for, for Sunak to suspend the, 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 the rollout of these jobs, not the rollout, but to suspend the programme effectively. And tonight at seven o'clock, he's, he's hosting or he's chairing a debate about the dangers of, uh, of vaccine harms. What do you think of that? Is, is there a modicum of hope there? Do you think how many MPs will turn up? What do you think, think Adam? Yeah, I'm obviously very pleased that he's doing that and he's sticking his head up. There are one or two, so don't get me wrong. There are there are a, you know a handful, if we like, or less than a handful. Um, now it's something that they it, it's just a a debate tonight, so they don't you know it's just a chat basically. There's nothing you know there's no official anything going to come of it, but at least they're talking about it now, and we're you know we're all really grateful for him doing that, and I just hope that. You know, some of the ridiculous statements, I don't know if you've watched any of the others, they just, you know, they treat us with so much disrespect. I just hope this time that people will start to listen because um, it really, um, yeah, it's really quite soul-destroying, scary and, and traumatic for us all that if it just gets batted out again and, you know, there's no plan to, to have more discussions after this evening, then, um, yeah, I wonder what's going to become of a lot of people because I, I just want to finish off that... Um, it's a horrible thing to say, but I've considered taking my life a number of times during this whole process. And there are a number of us who have unfortunately took their own lives because of, you know, how much pain we're in and the the diseases and stuff that we've got off the back of it. So I just, I, I just really, you know, I really need it to get took seriously. We're not asking for too much, we, you know, the vaccine injury payment scheme and, and just some, you know, research or just some official, clinics up and down the country where you know doctors can look at us and and start to treat us that's you know it's it's just a reasonable thing to ask right it, well it, it certainly isn't unreasonable and as for when when you get really low in yourself do you have the support around you that that is you know is, have you got people to lean on um I, I i use the the uk cv covid vaccine group and people like john watt and alex mitchell and people i've met on there and I even speak to people in America, so there's, you know whose families have been affected and people affected over there. Uh, so there's a lady over there I speak to. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, it's traumatised my close family, and um, you know they're probably more affected than me because you know we've lost a house, I've lost my career. They've seen you know I'm a shadow of a man, and you know it's hit them because you know. So yeah, it's harder for them to actually talk about than me because they're not prepared to even go outside mainstream media because, you know, family friends will say to me, oh, it's funny we've not seen that on BBC. Oh, you're the first one. Or, you know, so like people like, and as soon as I asked my close family to look at alternative media sources and some of the doctors that are speaking out now, it, they get so emotional about it. Um, you know, it really upsets. They don't want to know. They think I should just accept it and keep quiet um, because, it upsets them too much for me to be speaking out because they don't want to see me hurt. Um, yeah, I get that, yeah. And they don't want to see me not get anywhere with this. And basically, you know, I'm crying in front of the world, Rich, and revealing, you know, and it's, it's yeah, I'm a proud man and it's not, 
not easy to to open yourself up and and let people know what's going on because it's you know I won't wish it on anyone. So my family have just found it really really hard to be honest. Um, yeah. All I can say is good luck with the the, the campaign and the fundraising and. Um, and hopefully you get to Germany and you get that procedure, which sounds interesting. I think you're great for doing what you're doing and in the manner in which you're doing it as well, the way you're approaching it, the way you speak about it. I think that's brilliant. You know, if it if it makes, you know, one person, 100 people, 200 people, and I'm sure it'll make more people, have a moment of pause before taking a, a new therapy, a new medicine from the government you know, at face value, if it gives people a moment of pause, I think you've done a remarkable thing there. And um, just thanks for for giving us your time and sharing your story with us. I know you'll come back, right? Because this is an ongoing story, and uh, I know you'll come back to update us. But um, just the very best of luck with the fundraising in particular. And uh, as I said already, well done on how you, on how well you've done so far with that. So, Adam, I wish we met under better circumstances, but it's been a real pleasure to meet you, pal. Oh no, thank you, Richie, and God bless you, and uh, God bless all your uh, listeners. And yeah, and just please, just just try and support all the vaccine injured, and just help us get a voice. And uh, yeah, thank you for having us on. You're welcome, Adam. Adam Rowland, uh, live on Tuesday's program. Gifted physiotherapist, qualified, a great life, great job, and very badly injured after having uh, the AstraZeneca jabs. And he continues his campaign to get better, but to get acknowledgement, not just for himself, but for everybody else who's been injured. And uh, it's sobering stuff, that. It's uh, coming up for seven minutes past the hour. And Adam is on Twitter. It's at one ads. So that's at O-N-E-A-D-D-S. Go and give him a follow there. And if you do have a couple of Bob, uh, pop it on his GoFundMe. I'm going to do that after the programme. Uh, there'll be a few Bob coming from the Richie Allen Show after this programme. Um, right, it's time to do this. Back in a moment with more. Lawrence Fox will be with me in a few minutes' time. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Now, I know there's been a huge reaction to this on the website, but also on Twitter and that. I am pressed for time now, so I'm not going to get the chance to read out too many of the comments. I know you'll forgive me for that. I can only imagine what um, you're saying about it and what you've heard there from Adam. And also what, what we heard from Alex Mitchell last night. So thanks for all of your comments. There are some interesting, I'm just looking through them now, but I've got to take some music and get to my next guest on the line. But one or two of you there with interesting links to do with treatments and stuff, natural treatments and stuff. Maybe Adam will get on the website and have a look at some of those. I um, Maybe he will. Right. Time for a tune. David Bowie, Bowie. David Bowie. 
Uh, Lawrence Fox is next then. Looking forward to meeting him if we've not had him on the programme before. He's the founder and leader of the Reclaim Party and also an accomplished actor. And his Twitter feed is never dull. So we'll talk about some of that with him after this. This is Starman from Back. Right, let's cut David Bowie short then. It's uh, ten and a half minutes past six. It's Tuesday's programme, the 13th of December. Let's welcome our next guest onto the programme. Huge interest in this. Um, let me just introduce him straight up. He is the founder and the leader of the Reclaim Party and an accomplished actor, to say the least. Let's welcome Lawrence Fox to the show. Lawrence, welcome to the show. How are you? Good evening. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well. You're very kind for, for agreeing to come on. I, I know you're pretty busy. Look, there's loads I want to get through in the time we have. I've I've interviewed these past couple of nights a couple of really lovely gentlemen who've been badly injured by COVID vaccines. They can't get a a friendly ear from a government MP or from a local councillor. They can't get a friendly ear from a journalist. Now, I know that GB News, your parish of late, is doing a little bit on that and they're to be commended for it. What would you say with your Reclaim Party hat on your head, Lawrence? What would you say to people who are saying, we believe we were injured by a COVID jab and nobody's listening? What would Lawrence Fox tell them? I'd tell them that this is a crime against humanity and um, that patience is the key here. But, you know, Elon Musk is revealing the data about what has gone down and what has happened. There's been amazing work. I've seen Malotra has done uh, amazing work on this. And, you know, the the thing about the tweet is it it floats to the top. And I have huge sympathy um, and passion for those that have suffered injury at the hand of this hastily uh, bought out uh, experimental gene therapy. And um, we were lied to on a monumental scale. And um, the damage is going to be with us for years to come. Andrew Bridgen, who asked a question at PMQs last week about possibly suspending the programme, is chairing a debate in Westminster this evening from seven o'clock. I'm sure you'll be as interested as I am in terms of the the turnout. Uh, uh, Yeah, Andrew Bridgen will be asking. Will will be uh, using parliamentary privilege to reveal something quite important between uh, seven and nine pm this evening, and following that, there will be some revelations which will shock and sadden, continue to sadden the public who have been lied to. In terms of scale, it's very difficult, isn't it? We've seen the yellow card data, we've seen the VAERS data. What what, what is your understanding in terms of scale? Like, how big is this? I mean, is this this thalidomide? Is it it something far bigger than that? I, I, I pray not. I, I and I don't know, and I'm not a scientist, so I'm not the best person to speak on the efficacy of vaccines. So I, I am someone to speak on the efficacy of common sense, and common sense says that you don't rush out a medical treatment and then insist that the whole world takes it when you're getting these reports. So most people were were dealing with this in a commonsensical way, which was, you know, those that were vulnerable. I know a lot of people who took the, the vaccine, so-called vaccine, uh, you know, because they felt vulnerable and they were told by the government to do so. And I know a lot of people that were cautious and didn't want to do that. And, you know, they were just applying this wonderful thing that we have called human instinct. And um, 
who knows what the ultimately what the price is going to be but you know if you if you listen to the to the people that you'll never ever hear on the bbc or you'll never hear on the mainstream media that the, the cost could be pretty enormous i just spoke with a physiotherapist who used to work on the pga tour and toured with ballet companies providing physiotherapy and he's been horrifically injured by by the jab and you know the the most tragic part of listening to him speak Lawrence was that he knew as a healthy man that he probably didn't need it but he did it for his senior relatives because he believed them when they said that it would prevent him passing it on and that's one of the most criminal aspects of all of this is that they uh, didn't do the, the testing on whether it prevented transmission they just went ahead and um one hopes and prays that Dr. Anthony Fauci spends the re- the remaining years of his miserable life in jail for what he's done and uh, the collusion that he's done with all social media platforms and the media. Because um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's appalling to, to to have the warning signs there, to know that it didn't prevent transmission, to demonise people and to other people, and to basically turn society on its head to the point where people now aren't going to be able to come out of this. They're not going to be able to come out and go, I was wrong. You know, I, I, I was fooled. I was, you know, I believed in it. You know, you, you, people are in very entrenched positions and it's a very, very, very dangerous thing that's being done. And I hope it's a lesson to the whole of mankind not to ever let this happen again. So just one final point on this and then we'll move on and talk about the woke mind virus and Elon Musk. But before we do that, Carl Hennigan, the evidence-based professor, evidence medicine God, Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine, that's the one, at Oxford University. He's calling for messages and emails that were swapped around between government ministers in 2020 and 2021. He wants them to be made public. They would make interesting reading, wouldn't they? They absolutely would. Um, it, it, every single thing should be made public and um, and the entire, there should be a, a full public inquiry into the greatest failed public health experiment in history. And, um, and, and that's what it is. So he's absolutely right. Uh, you know, drag it out into the sunlight. It's the best disinfectant. And then let's start a Truth and Reconciliation Committee because, Commission, because, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's every day the news gets worse on this stuff. And, um, and I feel sorry for every single person who, who, with the best intentions in the world, took this um, vaccine and, uh, you know, and are now suffering the consequences. And it, it's not if it saves one life, which is what we were told. If it just saves one life wearing your mask, if it saves just one life, your kid not going to school, if it saves just one life taking the vaccine, we're going to find out that it took a lot of lives that it didn't need to take on top of the fact that it destroyed our civil liberties and ruined our, our lives and our society as we know it uh, in the short space of two years. If somebody had told you back in 2019 that it was possible for governments around the world acting in lockstep to deprive people of the right to go to work and earn a living, to mask up children, um, to, you know, to do what we've just discussed, roll out experimental jabs, what sort of guy was Lawrence Fox in 2019? Would you have believed it? I mean, did you see any of this coming over a period of years? Did you see this kind of creeping totalitarianism? Yeah, it, it, well, it, you know, Joe Biden is best friends with the Chinese. So, um, you know, how do the Chinese control their population when they when they dissent? All of their COVID passes go red, so they can't do anything. They can't move anywhere. He locks down 
cities of 26 million. And there's a lot in the Western world, the Trudeaus of this world and others, who really admire that model in um, controlling their populations. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that, that, that COVID was an opportunity which they used to leapfrog the next, um, you know, the, the journeys towards totalitarianism. And that's what they've done. And um, fortunately, people put up a fairly solid resistance. And um, I just pray and hope that many of us, more of us, are going to stand up next time the government try and do it. And ultimately, the very sad thing here is that the confidence in government, experts, medicine, law enforcement, everything has taken an enormous plunge. And that's a very dangerous place for society to be. Because society needs these things. We need to trust our police forces. We need to trust our medical profession. We need to trust our government. And I think more and more people want done with a lot of them, as what? we're going to see in England, as the Conservatives are thrown out, rightly so, in, uh, in a couple of years' time. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I, I'm not sure it's such a dangerous thing that people lose their faith in their scientists and in their doctors and in their police. Maybe something better might emerge out of that. I'm not going to um, build back better, don't worry about that, or the Great Reset, but maybe if people start looking into, you know, taking care of themselves, eating better, looking at more natural therapies and stuff like that, is there an opportunity there, Lawrence, for, for, for civilization? I, 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 you know, look, we already eat very well. And, uh, the, okay, there's an obesity problem in the West because people are greedy. And they rubbish food, but um, we, you know, compared to a hundred years ago, people eat just wonderfully. So yeah, I think people will take more agency in their own uh, health choices. I I took agency in my own health choices by absolutely uh, weighing up the the possible damages to an experimental vaccine and my um, risk from getting COVID and I think that what what I hope that this does is empower the individual because you know we've had we've had enough of governments of lying I've had enough of lying you know I've said it before and I've said it I'll say it again two days after my mother died uh, and they tried to keep her alone and make her a COVID death um, Boris Johnson was partying in Downing Street so they knew how this thing was. So I would say don't trust your politicians. And also I go so far as to say politicians should be removed from politics and the people that should be in politics are the people. People who know what they're doing. Isn't it amazing you're bringing up the parties in Downing Street? Because the thing that struck me was when it emerged that they'd been partying in in Downing Street. I thought, great, now there is an opportunity there for people to realise, as you did, Lawrence, that they knew that COVID wasn't a very serious threat. But rather than make that leap, people just got upset with Johnson because they obeyed the restrictions and he didn't. And the disconnect there stunned me. I thought people were brighter than that. What do you think? I think people are bright, but I think also once you've, you know, what did Mark Twain say? It's easy to fool people. (laughs) You know, it's less easy to convince them they've been fooled. Um, It's, you know, it's, I, I'm, I, I have no words about the fury I have about what what has happened and what uh, and what has gone down. I, I find it impossible to put into words. I really do. Lawrence Fox is our guest. Um, delighted to have him on. It's 22 minutes past the hour. He is the founder of the Reclaim Party. He's an accomplished actor, of course. You'll know him from a stage and screen, as a TV, of course, as well. 
let's talk about Elon Musk then. And there is a bit of excitement around Twitter since um, Musk took the, the reins, as it were. What do you think he means when he says the woke mind virus is either defeated or nothing else matters? Is he playing funny games and he's just having a bit of a crack? Or is he serious? And what does that mean, the woke mind virus? Well, the woke mind virus is, is you know, wokery is a secular religion. You know, it's a man-made religion. So it's not, uh, I mean, one could argue that all religions are man-made, but um, it lacks everything that uh, true faith has, which is redemption, salvation, and repentance. So what it does is it asks you to behave in a certain way, which is their idea of God is equity, which is that everyone must be equal. Now, if everyone has to be equal, A, the bureaucracy around that is just astonishingly difficult to, uh, you know, make happen. And B, it's communism. So I don't want, I I like meritocratic things. I like the fact that, you know, maybe I'm better at acting than um, Harry Kane is at taking penalties. Who knows? (laughs) You know, we're all, we're all, we're all different. Um, the woke mind virus is uh, is China exported around the world, and he's absolutely right. If the West wishes to remain free, then people need to have free expression, and the woke people do not want you to express yourself freely, as we've seen throughout the last couple of years. You know, those sort of they've sort of screamed and shouted and hectored and and othered the worst thing you can do to another human being to other them. And we're we're now finding this with um, now that the the woke mind virus has moved on from COVID and saving mankind and you know loving my neighbour in the in this in this woke way which is non which has no faith to it. We're now moving on to the climate again, and we're moving on to um, all of the other problems that have been left left behind. So he's absolutely right. Until those woke people are sent back, crawling back under their rocks where they came from. They're, and it's a, there's only a small percentage of them. They're not a lot of the population. I polled on this for the Reclaim Party. We polled the public. But there is a very staunch percentage and percentile of the population who want to control other people. But it's not a big percentage. So people need to stand up. What Elon Musk is saying, he paid £44 billion so that human beings could be free and could have free information and could speak and express themselves freely. And that's what he valued free speech at, £44 billion. I hope so you're I right. I hope, yeah. I hope you're right on that. But let me put the other side. On the walkery thing, I'm the worst guy in the world to be interviewing you because it's obvious that, you know, to my listeners anyway, that I would have empathy with, with uh, sympathy with your perspective with your point of view but but let me put the other side of it to you um you'll be aware of uh, who james o'brien is lbc i can't help but smile when i mention james o'brien's name but i'm mentioning his name anyway he's an lbc radio presenter he's not a journalist he's a london school of economics graduate i'm i'm a bit of um i have a big chip on my shoulder about journalism uh lawrence because i'm a real journalist you see and and i can't bear guys like o'brien describing himself as a journalist when he isn't but anyway he says look what Lawrence and Elon Musk would call wokery, he says, quote, it's people, uh, people like you, are objecting the attempts of others to make the world a fairer and a kinder place. And O'Brien says that being anti-woke or claiming to be anti-woke is a camouflage for something uglier. And he went on to say that people that hate all the time on others, 
they do so because they've got some manifestly serious problem psychologically themselves. They're dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of anger. And so they go out there and they hate people who try to make the world a fairer place. That's what he says. And you might laugh and I might laugh, but he's got a lot of listeners who agree with him. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But um, do you find us that have been locked down for two years turning around and saying that we should, you know, demonize and other the people that did that to us, you know, other than the elected representatives? I think it's a, it's a, he's playing a mind game. And the mind game is that he, he who owns the concept of kindness and fairness and making the world a better place? Not 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 James O'Brien, for one, because he's a political activist masquerading as a journalist. He doesn't own the concept of kindness. Kindness. I've I've had some of the greatest kindnesses I've ever been uh, gifted have come through a very hard word in a stern way given to me by someone I love. You know, th- there is no such thing as the collective kindness. Human beings are not great people. We just aren't. We, the, we, the entire system of government and the entire judicial system are built around protecting the 99% from the 1% who want to do us ill. And J- James O'Brien is just, it's a falsehood that he would turn around and, and say that there's something about making the world a better place. Under every single metric you can place Great Britain under, we come across as the most tolerant, welcoming, warm, non-racist and uh, society on earth. So if he, if, if he thinks we're not progressive enough, then get on a plane, ask the people to take you to Wuhan or Beijing and see if you like it there, mate, because they all want to be equal there. Yeah, they. when you think of his conduct and people like Piers Morgan and others, they they demanded harder and faster lockdowns. This was the thing that killed me. I came up in local radio and worked my, my way up that way. And you'll, you'll know this yourself. Everything, the emphasis was on, it didn't matter who you had in front of you, try and pick apart their argument, pull it apart, give them a bit of a shake, but then give them the opportunity to respond. They never challenged the lockdowns. They never, not a single presenter in, you know, 24-hour news channels or, there's only two talk radio channels now really, you know, in terms of um, LBC and and talk. That's another thing, plurality, how mid-morning chat shows disappeared uh, out of the regions across the country. Terrible thing, but we could be here all day talking about that. They didn't challenge a word of it. They didn't ask, you know, have you... Have you looked at how damaging lockdowns could be? Um, have you looked at what, what damage it's going to do uh, to children? And that brings me to the next point. And I'm keeping an eye on the clock here because it's coming up for half past six. Commentary has replaced journalism in the British and Irish media. Now, I'm a qualified journalist. It doesn't m- make me anything special. But journalism is my hobby. Reading about it. Observing it. And I never believed, Lawrence, that what we saw on Fox News in the 1990s would ever arrive in the UK because I was naive. And I think we see a lot of that. So this is where I'm going to have a little poke at you, but you can tell me to feck off if you want. Um, that's a challenge for GB News, isn't it? Not just GB News, but, but even talk radio. To not be that, to not just get on there and just spout opinions at people and rarely chat with the people with whom you disagree. See, James O'Brien's a genius at doing that. He's a genius at saying that Lawrence Fox and and the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph, you're all a bunch of right-wing people that are not very nice. But there's no courage there. He's not speaking to you. 
you know, in a debate on the radio. It's just commentary, endless commentary. And I don't think we're ever going to get out of this tailspin unless we get some proper I, journalism. Go ahead. I, I agree. I mean, but, you know, I, I've asked James O'Brien to speak to me. I've, I've offered to go on his show. I've, uh, you know, I, I, I will go on any show with any person, anything. And what's I've the response? No Lauren, sorry to interrupt you. What's the response? So, so you, you say to O'Brien, I'd like to come on and, you know, at least give me right of reply. And is there no response no. coming back? No, no response. That's disgusting. I've had it with The Guardian. When they've written about me, I've asked to write, be able to write a piece. I've asked all of the famous left-wing journalists in the UK to come on and debate with me. But the problem is you can't debate facts versus feelings. It's no. not a good debate. So uh, people are mindfully curious uh, about things on in the centre, which is where I'm at. I'm not right-wing, I don't think particularly. Uh, we're mindfully curious of stuff. But ideologically driven people on one side of the argument or the other are very, very difficult to connect with. So I would actually say over someone like GB News, I'd say, you know, in the in the early days of Tucker Carlson, he would manage to get people on who disagreed with him. But because he ate them for breakfast on a re, on a repeated level, they just stopped coming on. So I'd say what you do need is you you need in journalism, you need at least one uh center center right leaning broadcaster that is sat there and it's campaigning for the most important thing in the world which is freedom of speech and if the um if the left wing or so-called left wing that i just call them authoritarian cry bullies um if they don't want to come on and talk then you know don't come on at all but there are some brave ones who will come on and debate and you know old school uh, socialism and old school left-wing values are very, very interesting because they've got depth to them. Uh, they're difficult to talk to, but they have depth to them. But this modern woke leftism is, uh, it's its nothing more than a sort of whimsy. I, it's really hard to talk to them. And I, I've, I've had a couple on the show when I do the show on GB News and they just keep going on about systemic racism and oppression and all of this. And I'm just going, can you prove yeah, you yeah, facts yeah. to back that up? It's so difficult. Anyway? Yeah, it's difficult to have a conversation with somebody like that. I I, I was looking at Enoch Powell's debates on the Dick uh, Cavett Cavetcho in America when when Cavett came to London to do it, and you know I was nearly crying because it was just such a wonderful way to do debates about very serious issues like immigration. You know, nobody was screaming at Powell, oh, you're just a dirty racist. They were listening to him and then trying to pick apart his argument and, and then he would come back in and I kind of crave that. Look, I know we've only got a few minutes left and I'm glad you you, you came on. I know you're a, a busy with the broadcasting and the and the campaigning and whatnot. On the climate thing, let's finish on the climate thing. Um, I came into journalism in 1998. You, you mentioned how, you know, the old lefties would have been um, amenable to discussions and debates. I would have described myself as a Bolivarian socialist many years ago. I never, it never entered my head to cancel anybody. It never entered my head to say, I'm not going to the university today because they've got some dickhead on a stage that I don't like. I would roll my sleeves up as you would have done and said, great, I'll ask a few questions that he mightn't like. And th that's what we would have done. Um, the climate thing, my God, is that going to get um, incredibly hysterical and passionate and toxic? I don't believe that, um, I don't believe the anthropogenic climate change theory. I don't believe it. I believe we are, I believe we've become a dirty race of backsters. I believe pollution, air quality, these are things that we should look at rationally and sanely. 
but I do not believe that cataclysmic weather events are on the way in the next 30, 40 years because the earth is warming. And it's not because I don't want to believe that. I've looked at the evidence myself. But I think it's going to be used to make the COVID lockdowns look like a holiday camp. How do you feel about that? What do you think about climate change? Is it it happening? Do we need to mitigate it? Or are we lurching into more totalitarian madness? What do you think, Lawrence? Well, my garden is not looking very global warming-y today. I have to say it's pretty fucking freezing, freezing, as you say. (laughs) Um, And um, I I noticed that the Just Stop Oil people stop protesting when it's cold. But um, look, we are having an effect on the climate. And, you know, I've seen in my lifetime an improvement in air quality. So that's good. We should all try and improve air quality. But the idea that us little people, uh, you know, a few hundred million miles away from 20 gazillion nuclear fusions going on at the same time it has any say in any of this yeah we want to make the planet a, clean, a cleaner and greener place we have recycling bins we look which you know apparently according to michael schellenberger just get put on a tanker to china and then thrown into the middle of the sea but we um we we do need to take care of our planet and i think we do take care of our planet and we do care about it that's why people garden it's why people have vegetable patches it's why people sweep outside their front door because they do care about the environment that they live in and this this um, climate emergency which is manufactured is just another way of going how can we control the, the plebs and you know it's not like john kerry is going what about the pollution from my private jet as i fly into cairo or any of the other hypocrites who flew into cairo for cop 27 to come up with some harebrained scheme to make our lives more miserable. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a neo-feudalistic uh, control mechanism. And I would encourage anyone, your listeners included, to just think for themselves and don't listen to these people. They don't have your best interests at heart. They're all on the make and they've got a load of salaries. And the only people I would trust in this entire world are people that do it when it costs them. When it costs them to do it. My my listeners are screaming at me. Um, They wanted me to put something to you. Um, So if if you have two minutes. Um, They're very concerned. I hear from a lot of parents on this show. Lots of parents. And they're from all different types of backgrounds. So British Muslims, um, British Christians, Catholics, Irish Catholics who've, who've settled here. Relationship and sex education in schools is a big problem for them. They know that you're campaigning on this and the Reclaim Party is very interested in it. You posted a very distressing, it was, I'm not just saying this for effect, it was a distressing image of a magazine cover the other day with where a baby was being held by a naked trans woman, which which for me is a, is a man. Um, just a man, yeah. What, what's happening? Why is this stuff all everywhere at the moment? That's what they want to know. It's, uh, it, it's a condition of the end of a civilization, in my view. It's we we have come to the end. Uh, we're we're so affluent and leisurely, which is so s- strange. Seeing as we're not, huge portions of our society have absolutely nothing, and are extremely vulnerable. But with the elite class and the thinking class in our society, have come to the end of what it is to think about. So now they think a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. It is absolute insanity. And as you will have seen in Scotland today that a judge has ruled that if a man says he's a man, he is, sorry, if a man says he's a woman, he is legally a woman. He's biologically a woman, actually. She went further, the judge, to say he was biologically a woman. So they're teaching this 
poisoned to uh, our children in schools. I would encourage any one of your listeners who is worried about this to go on to the badlawproject.com, which is one of my projects that I do, download our resources and send them to your schools. Find out what they're teaching your kids in loco parentis, and you will be absolutely flabbergasted. Schools have stopped being a place of education, and they've become a place of indoctrination. So that's badlawproject.com. You'll find Lawrence on Twitter. It's at Loza Fox and Reclaim Party. Website is reclaimparty.co.uk. That was a very interesting half an hour. Lawrence, thanks so much for your time, and good luck to you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. Lawrence Fox there, the political advocate, activist, even the actor, the broadcaster, the founder of the Reclaim Party. The time is coming up for 21 minutes to the top of the hour. Your comments next, I suppose. I'll take a tune, that's what I'll do, to um, grab a glass of water and then I'll read your comments because they are legion. They're legion, yes. Lots of comments, of course, as well, on Adam Rowland, who was on in the first hour talking about a COVID vaccine or COVID jab injuries. This is Bon Jovi and Living on a Prayer on The Richie Allen Show. It is hard for me to believe that is 1986. Yeah. (laughs) I was going into high school, Bon Jovi, slippery when wet, and living or living on a prayer. It's uh, 17 minutes to the top of the air. Thanks for your comments on the programme this evening. Jenny says, uh, we must talk about carbon credits and and explain what's going on with that. Can certainly do that, there's no doubt about that. Jilly says, Richie, there was another event planning scenario similar to the event 201, which took place in 2019. It's called Catastrophic Contagion 2025. Yeah, it did cross my desk, Jilly. I'm looking into that and the possibility of getting someone to speak about it, so so thank you. Yes, these are the things you need to be looking out for. What what planning events, what um, scenario scenarios are they are they running? Are they gaming? That's the the term gaming, yes, yes. Craig says the heads of the Anglican and Catholic Church churches, institutions with a history of brutality in the name of religion, sit pretty in the World Economic Forum. Some of the oldest Masonic lodges, that is, an order that believes in the one God or one good, on the planet exists in China. In my opinion, says Craig, it's a mistake to think that the woke are not intrinsically linked to the old authoritarian religious orders. Blair's a Catholic. That's right, he converted to Catholicism, didn't he? Uh, Gates is a Catholic. O'Brien is a Catholic, Obama is an Anglican. I tell you what, uh, Craig, James O'Brien would be thrilled to be mentioned in the same sentence as Obama, as uh, Gates and uh, Tony Blair. Craig concludes, we have conveniently forgotten how bad the old religions were for the people. Brian says, GB News is half truths, to be honest, he says. Yep, that might be true. Might be true, but one of their anchors with no W, anchors, a guy called Stain or Steen, he's been posing some questions about vaccine injuries, which is no bad thing, you know. You don't want to tell people what to do, so you don't. I don't mean you, Brian, specifically, but telling people what to do doesn't really get you very far with them. Putting the information somewhere where they can see it, 
And I'll tell you what I've had success with, and I won't bore you with this, I won't dwell, because I have done this too many times in the past, but I've had a bit of success with the bit of um, almost like curious approach. So you say to somebody, hey, did you hear this? Now you know this, but you're not acting like you know it. You're acting like you just heard it. Did you hear this about the jabs or whatever? And then if they say, oh, that's a load of bollocks, just say, fair enough. Hey, listen, don't shoot me. I'm, I just heard this and I'm just wondering about it. And it does go far, that. Backbeat says, it's ironic that Lawrence Fox calls for the virtual eradication of politicians whilst heading up a political party. I find it very hard to believe that there are still people who even bother to mention politics as anything but a construct created to distract the populace from that which is really going on and action by the evil bar stewards who are not content with virtually owning the world. They want to control everything on the planet. That's backbeat. Uh, hi to Bruce Patrell. Hi to Faisal. How are you? Hi to Jojo. Jojo, thanks for your kind words about the show and you've given me a link to somebody on Twitter. Thank you. I'll, I'll get on that. Vaccine injuries. I know I, I, I shouldn't refer to them as vaccines. They're not. But I don't use terms like kill shot either. They might be for, for many people, kill shots, but again, it doesn't tend to get you very far with the perplexed. So um, let me scroll down. The banjo says, there are some that think, there are some who think things will be better under Starmer. They are mistaken. You've got that right. 100% they are mistaken. It is, uh, but sadly, I reckon a landslide when the election happens, it could be the spring of 2023. It might not be. It might be later than that. But it's a landslide for Labour. Nothing gets in the way of that. I don't think. In my opinion, I should say. Because I'm often wrong. But yeah, it's my opinion that Labour wins in a landslide. It wins with a majority of about 70, I reckon. It'll be wipeout for the Tories. Absolute wipeout. You see how many of them are jumping ship now. Because they know what's coming down the line. Hey, listen, I cannot not mention again that Andrew Bridgen, MP, the man himself who said this, there have been more reported deaths and adverse reactions following mRNA vaccination in 18 months than there has been from every conventional vaccine administered worldwide for the last 50 years. That was the 7th of December, last Wednesday. And he put this to Rishi Sunak and asked him to stop the vaccination programme. And Rishi Sunak ignored him and said the vaccines are safe and effective when we know they're not. They're not safe and effective. There's no doubt that there are people who haven't been affected by the jabs. You'd be foolish to say the jabs hurt everybody. Now, don't shout at me. I know there are some listeners who do believe that. They believe it's a matter of when and not if. And I respect that belief. I don't know. I'm working on the principle that they won't hurt everybody. Human bodies are resilient things. It's an amazing thing, the human body, when you think about it, right? What it can do. So it won't hurt everybody. But you still cannot say that they are safe and effective. They're not. It only needs to hurt some people, for them not to be safe and effective. Uh, 
I know every scientist in the world who might be listening to this will be screaming at me now, saying it doesn't work like that. But anyway, there you go. Hi to Dave the nurse. Lot of fake celebs, says Dave, but you can hear how upset he is. I don't know what that's referring to, pal, because that was 24 minutes ago. But uh, thanks for the comment. Davy says, I haven't got very much, but I decided to support Adam on GoFundMe after listening to his story. Um, well done, Davy, on doing that. He says, my God, these politicians, doctors and the media need to be pulled across the coals and spend the rest of their time on earth in jail. And he says, good luck, Adam. And Patricia says, the sad thing about all of this is that they will never admit to what they have done to mankind, as the whole world would be in uproar. This is why they're trying to keep the lid on the evil. And I think Lawrence Fox said as much too, didn't he, Patricia? Um, after you posted that comment, it must be said. Tim says, it's a while since I cried cried a bucket full during the show. It's a while since I cried a bucket full during the show. But you managed it again today, says Tim. Uh, thanks, Tim. Chris says, are people still waiting for compensation for the swine flu vaccine? Pandemrics, remember that? pandemics which gave people narcolepsy people got the swine flu jab again it goes back to when when I asked Adam why did you have the bloody thing and his answer it's it's kind of heartbreaking I think Jean Ann who is, is obviously a great friend of the program very important to the program Jean Ann Crowley I think at that point she sent a message to me, a one-word message saying millions, millions of people weren't stupid. They, they, they knew, I think, I think, it's Jean Anne's opinion, it's my opinion too, that lots and lots of people knew that they probably didn't need the COVID jab. And this is the thing that must really hurt people. It must really get to them when they're feeling unwell, when they're particularly struggling, was that they thought, well, I'm a very fit and healthy person. The odds are that COVID's not going to do very much to me. So I will decline. But then they got those people with the, but you know, you have the jab, you don't transmit it, and that's good for your senior parents and your senior grandparents. And we now know that was a monumental lie. Well, we know the whole thing was a lie. And a lot of people will be very upset about that, I would imagine. I did it for somebody else. And I do remember interviewing scientists and doctors on the Richie Allen Show. Too many to mention by name now. But they were adamant, weren't they? They were vehement that it, it cannot be any more unethical to ask somebody to take a medical intervention on behalf of a third party. Unprecedented, one doctor said to me. It's just outrageous, Richie, to ask somebody to take a vaccine on behalf of somebody else. You remember, even before they said, don't kill granny, have the jab, don't kill granny, they were saying, don't kill the immunocompromised. I remember having a screaming, raging argument on... Twitter, it wasn't the, it wasn't what got me banned, it wasn't. The person had thick skin, to be fair, but there was a bloke, I can't remember his name, he was in his early 20s, and he's got some issues, some blood issues, and he's pretty wide open, 
to uh, getting ill. And he was having a screaming match with me because I'd put something out there saying, I don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe anybody my life. I don't owe total strangers my livelihood. I don't owe you that. Nature is a bastard at times. You know, some people are born and they do have these shitty things. It could have been me. I'm well aware of that. I'm, you've got to have some humility. I was lucky. I was born able-bodied with two arms and two legs. And God had a sense of humour now when he, when he assigned me my looks. Let's be honest about it. Proper fucking sense of humour. Let's be honest about that. And when it came to deciding what sort of hair I would have, they had a proper laugh at my expense up in heaven as well. But I was very lucky. I'm held. I'm well aware of this. But nature is what nature is. And some people are given a shit hand when they're brought into the world. But don't ask somebody, a perfect stranger, to stay indoors, to close your business, because I'm immunocompromised. And I might get sick. Well, tough fucking shit, Paddy was what I said to this guy when he really got on my tits this particular evening. But to be fair to the kid, he didn't report me or demand I was banned. He just argued back with me. Said I was a hateful, heartless bastard. I said, I'm not. I just don't care about you. I don't know you. If you were my first cousin and you were immunocompromised, I still wouldn't give a shit. No, I would. I would. I'd draw the line at first cousins. But he couldn't get the central, but my argument, which was, it's lurching towards, it's obviously unethical to ask healthy people to compromise their own health, by the way, because such a bloke over there, such and such a bloke, is immunocompromised. They couldn't understand this, but they sold the jabs based on that bollocks. Absolute bollocks that take the jab and you look after, you know, the people around you. Nonsense. Absolutely monstrous to be saying that to people. You know, if you feel you're immunocompromised and you're vulnerable, act fucking accordingly. Do what you need to do to look after yourself. Don't put any responsibility on me because I bear none. And I wouldn't dream if I was in that position, by the way, where I was wide open to illnesses because I had no immunity. I wouldn't dream of demanding that the people around me lock themselves indoors. And I can swear on that. I want to thank Adam Rowland for coming on the programme, by the way. Find him on Twitter. It's at 1-O-N-E-A-D-S, A-D-D-S, at 1-A-D-S. If you can support him on GoFundMe, do. Um, he's looking to get to Germany to basically have his blood washed about a dozen or more times. It's going to cost him about £30,000. So uh, if you can do that, thank you uh, to Adam. Thanks to uh, Lawrence Fox. That was an interesting conversation with him as well. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And thanks to you for listening to the programme. I'm away. I'm back tomorrow at five, usual time. And I'll be speaking tomorrow night, extended conversation, with uh, Dave Weiss. Uh, flat Earth Dave will be talking all things Flat Earth. Something that's not ever really interested me. But you've um, demanded that I speak to somebody on the subject. Dave sounds and seems like a nice fella. We'll talk to him tomorrow. You enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. That's right. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Bye now.